God, we're so grateful for this opportunity you've given us to look at your scripture. Got to be challenged by the story of your life and particularly today of your death. God, we are forever grateful that you came as a man, that you endured the way that you endured, that you became our sacrifice. We're thankful, Lord, that you conquered the grave and that we look forward to life with you forever by faith in your name. Lord, be with us now as we look at this text. May we be encouraged and strengthened. May your Holy Spirit guide every one of my words. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> you ever that, have that, uh, the person in your life uh, that is willing to say what everyone else is thinking? Uh, are any of you that person? <laughs> Potential. Actually, I might know a few people in this room that might be that person. Um, raise your hand if you're just kidding. Um, uh, uh, there, there is always that person that that wants to say uh, what everyone is thinking. And you know, as we look at this text today, we're looking at uh, the story of Jesus there on the cross. We've been in John for a long time, and we'll get into uh, much of it, but. Um, when Jesus is there on the cross, we don't, we don't really talk much about this, but, uh, you know, in, in Luke 23, it's recorded that people are there watching, and, uh, and, and, and they're saying something that probably, if you read John's description of Jesus' life before this point, you would be wondering the same thing. And you might even be saying some of these same things that on this side of the cross as Christians and as on this side of particularly the resurrection, you look at that and say, how could someone even say such a thing? But for a moment, let's just think about what we've gone through in the book of John as it pertains to Jesus. John has recorded seven particular miracles uh, to demonstrate Jesus' power. He's shown us Jesus turning water into wine. He's shown us Jesus healing an official's son whom he, didn't even, he wasn't even, the, even in the presence of. He heals him from a distance, right? He comes and heals a man who uh, probably is sick because of his own doing uh, at the pool of Bethsaida. He feeds 5,000 men, let alone women and children. He walks on the water. He heals a man who's been blind since he was born, who hasn't seen ever. And finally, these people that are surrounding Jesus' cross are the same people, many of them, that testify to the fact that he rose Lazarus from the dead. This is what people have seen and or heard of Jesus up until this point, and now they're around a cross outside of the capital city, and Jesus is hanging there. And so those who have been naysayers from the beginning, we shouldn't be surprised that in Luke 23, verses 35 to 38, um, 
Okay, I actually have, have it. Bear with me here. Yeah. There it comes. This is what's recorded. People stood by watching, but the, the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one, and the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, then save yourself. There was also an inscription over him that this is the king of the Jews. See, if you've seen Jesus do miracle after miracle after miracle, and, and now he's hanging on a cross, and, and you've been one of these naysayers, you're going you're gonna to be doing the same thing. as that. Well, if you're the Messiah... If you're the one that's going to save us from Roman oppression, then take yourself down. Save yourself from the, the worst of possible afflictions. Come down from this if you are the Christ. I, I would dare say that we would all be uh, wondering that same thing. The disciples certainly were questioning, right? Wondering this person that we followed that has said he's the Messiah, now he's on a cross and die, like. What's happening? Why is he going to die? Thinking that surely he will come down. <clears throat> Today we see Jesus the man. We see that this is exactly why Jesus came. To be on this cross right here doing what we could not do for ourselves. The first uh, part of the passage is here in John 19, 28 on to uh, 37. And it says this, I just want to read it with us. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. And a jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It's a very important thing that John is emphasizing throughout this passage that Jesus is a man. That he's a man. You know, if you've grown up in the church, you sort of like know that already, Jesus, man and God. But if you talk to other people about Jesus, a lot of people don't believe that Jesus came as man. In fact, in John's time, as he's writing to these people that are hearing these scriptures for the first time, the community he's writing to thinks that Jesus was perhaps just a spirit. That, that he was not even flesh at all. And so one of the purposes as we read through this passage of all that John is recording is to say, Jesus came as a man. He came and died the death of a man. Here we see him thirst. Since it was the day of preparation and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, 
they did not break his legs, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out, a, out blood and water. He who saw it was as born witness, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. You hear John here emphasizing very plainly, right, that he's a man. He had legs. His legs didn't have to be broken because he was already dead. When they pierced him with a spear, blood and water flowed out. John is as, as emphatically as he can emphasizing to these people that think that, oh, Jesus was just a spirit. He just kind of came and sort of went and it was no big deal. They know his flesh is ripped apart and poured out for us. He is a man. Even the Jewish leaders recognize, right, in that passage that he's a man, that he is flesh. Uh, they didn't want the Passover, the high Sabbath of the Passover, to, to be, uh, uh, to be um, defiled in any way. So they actually went to Pilate and said, Pilate, please take these, uh, take these men off the crosses so that we can continue in celebration of the Passover. They recognize that this is the flesh of a man who is dead. Jesus is a man, and he came for us. At this time, uh, one of the symbols or uh, thoughts about what our bodies were made up of was, in fact, blood and water. And so when the soldiers pierced Jesus' side, to, just to make sure that, that he was, in fact, dead, that he was a human and that he was dead, they pierce his side and, and blood and water flow out. And, and so at, at times, medical experts have come along and tried to figure out, well, if they poke him in the parochial sack here, then, uh, then that might produce water and blood at the same time. Or if they poke him at, you know, get him at the particular right spot in the heart, then that might, they've sort of theorized about what might actually produce this mixture of, of blood and water to come forth. But one thing we've got to step back and see is that John is really simply telling people this was a man. He is made up of the stuff that men are made up of. He is made up of blood and water, and that's what flowed out. John has no medical expertise. He's not trying to say, oh, see, blood and water flowed out, so, uh, so it must have been, he must have been punctured in this particular way. He's just, no, he's just emphatically stating again, the man Jesus of Nazareth was crucified. He's a man, and he died. Throughout this, you no doubt see that Jesus is fulfilling thing after thing after thing. I fulfill uh, the scripture that I thirst for you. Jesus, at this point, is in true thirst for his Father. At this moment, he is now separated from the Father in heaven as he dies here and, and goes into the grave. He thirsts for that which is about to be broken. 
as he thirsts, the, as he really in, in uh, desperation says those words, I thirst, and they hear, uh, it is true that the Roman soldiers had sour wine there, and, and they would use that one for themselves if they had needed, uh, needed of drink, uh, but also not because it would be refreshing, uh, and, and this isn't a kind gesture, but when he said he thirsts, they, they raise up this sour wine to whoever was being crucified uh, just to ease their pain a little bit, not, uh, not to take away their pain, but to let them live longer to endure more pain. It, it is not a grace of the soldier <laughs> to offer up a drink to Jesus. It is rather a continue on of the torture of him. mockery and the ripping of Jesus is, it is what we deserved. And he took it on in full force for us. He is Jesus the man. The second half of this passage focuses on two other people. Uh, Two other people that um, are rarely really talked about. Uh, Nicodemus is mentioned once, and Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea is mentioned in every single one of the Gospels, but only at one encounter, and it is this one, uh, the burial of Jesus. This is what is recorded. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. Remember, the body. He's emphasizing over and over, this is a man. And Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took away his body. Nicodemus, also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. Actually, we think it was 65, but anyway, who's counting? Um, So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen clothes with spices, as, uh, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Too often we think of our relationship with Jesus as one moment where I came to know Jesus, and that's the one moment that, I cha- that changed my life, right? I placed my trust in him. And certainly that's true. There are certainly, probably if you're a believer, there's a moment in your life that you look back to you and say, this is when I became a follower of Jesus. But we forget often after we've sort of come through that, uh, that there was a process. Like, there was a big, long journey that we went on. And, and for some of us, it's very short. I was seven years old when I gave my life to Christ, so there wasn't much time in my life before that to, to, uh, to have much of a journey, you know, before I gave my life to Him. But certainly the journey has continued after, and I've grown in my faith. And we don't realize how dynamic our coming to the Lord is. I bring that up because imagine being Joseph of Arimathea. Imagine being Nicodemus, who have power and authority in their religious uh, circles and in their towns. And, and now they're seeing this man, Jesus, who's claiming to be a Messiah, come on the stage and say bold and powerful things and do these amazing miracles that John uh, records. And, and here we get a little glimpse into the fact that 
They've been thinking this through the whole time. Nicodemus, certainly, since the first night he came at night and, and came to Jesus and said, what is the deal with you? <laughs> and Jesus didn't answer any of his questions then, actually. He just gave him more questions. But it's these two men who secretly have been following Jesus, keeping track of what's going on with him, watching from afar. It's these two that at the moment of Jesus' death use their position and authority to go and take care of Jesus' body. Can you imagine like what's going through their heads? Like Jesus has told Nicodemus, in order to be in the kingdom of God, you must be born again. And now Nicodemus is walking up to this man and helping him come down from the cross and carrying spices and, and oil, uh, aloes to put him in a tomb. What's going through his mind, right? Uh, what is going through his mind, right? At this time, when he comes and takes, Nicodemus, takes Jesus off of the cross. It's been a journey for him. He didn't just go away and, and lose heart. He's been watching from afar, and here he is. See, our journey to the Lord is dynamic and What I would encourage us with in that is that there are people around you, right? Uh, that so often you're looking for the moment at which, you know, they're going to come to know Jesus and come to see that this, this is the Jesus who gave his life for you, who died on a cross for you. Just know that um, it, it's not about getting the right words in front of them. It's not about uh, trying to persuade them as best you possibly can to bring them to, to, a, to an emotional point of change. Uh, rather, it, it's about living a life that is worthy of following, that you're living by the power of Jesus, and they're seeing from afar. I mean, think about Joseph and Nicodemus for probably two years watching Jesus' life, and they're the two that come to the cross and take him down and put him in the tomb and wondering in their heads, all those things he did. Now I'm putting him in the tomb. I guarantee you that these men followed Jesus after he rose from the grave. Uh, we don't have record biblically of Nicodemus coming to faith or Joseph himself, but I would be very hard-pressed to consider that they did not. Faith is a dynamic journey, and uh, so for those that are around you that you care about and that you love, don't worry about the timing of creating conversations to draw them to Jesus. Jesus is drawing them to himself constantly, and he's doing it right at the cross. And all we are called to as followers of him is to live out that life, to live out a life of a man who would give his life on the cross for those 
that he loved and for those that hated him. Jesus gave his life for these soldiers who raised sour wine up to his mouth to continue his torture. He died for those men. Jesus gave his life for those who mocked him for what he was doing there on the cross and said, well, if if you're the Messiah, why don't you come down? He died for them. What a calling on us, not to stir people up, but simply to live as Jesus did, giving our lives that they might see the love that Jesus has for us. When Nicodemus came to Jesus, this is what happened. Let's be reminded. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Nicodemus knew that Jesus was from God. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered, are you not a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. These are the words that are ringing in Nicodemus' head as he carries spices and aloes to a grave, as he lays this body of Jesus into an empty tomb, he's thinking, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. He doesn't understand it yet, but he knows God is up to something in this Jesus. Jesus has told him exactly what's going to happen. He would be lifted up. Whoever believes in him will have eternal life. So let's remember these things, these two things. Jesus came as a man. You've probably heard it before, but it's worth repeating. As Christians, we believe Jesus came 
as a man. He was born as a man, lived as a man, and died the worst death a man could die. Praise be to God. In a couple weeks, we will celebrate that he is more than just a man. Though he was lifted up, he also conquered the grave, and he is God. Do we understand that concept? Fully man, fully God? No. I don't have to. (laughs) I guarantee you Nicodemus didn't understand it when he was putting this man in the grave, but he knew something was true about him still. Jesus was a man, and he died for us. Second, faith is a dynamic journey. Don't look down on the Josephs of Arimathea and the Nicodemuses who are still sort of holding on to their power a little bit, trying to see exactly what it's going to cost them to step their toe into this thing, or let alone step their whole bodies into this thing. I guarantee you, as soon as Joseph and Nicodemus decided, you know what we need to do is we need to be the ones that take care of his body, they immediately ostracized themselves from the rest of the ruling class. They immediately exposed the fact that they actually did care for this man and they actually did believe that this man has done something significant. At that moment, they took a stand for what they believed in. They believed that Jesus was more than just a man. So let's remember that faith is a dynamic journey and remember that all those around us that we love and care and cherish and want to come to know the Lord, we continue to pray for in spite of what we see. We continue to pour out truth and love sacrificially as Jesus did and let him do the work on people's hearts. It's a dynamic journey. And so we don't have to be discouraged by what may be seen on the outside We only have to be faithful to what God has called us to do and to say this moment. And let Jesus do the work in people's hearts. What did we learn a few weeks ago? It is the Holy Spirit who convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. We don't have to do that job. Praise God. (laughs) Let us trust that God is working in the hearts of those around us and pray for him to continue to do so that more and more will be born of the Spirit into the kingdom of God. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful for your word and so grateful for just the opportunity to slowly reflect on how much you endured on our behalf. We cannot understand it. We cannot explain it. We know we need it. Desperately, God, we know that it, are, it is our words saying to you, if you're the Messiah, come down. If you're real, prove it to me. If you do this for me, I will believe you, I will trust you. So God, help us rather be people 
who see you and say, yes, I believe the God that Jesus has died for my sin, that there's nothing I can do in this life to make up for what I have done in this life, and there's no way for me to live a life that is perfect as he lived. And so I trust in the cross and what he has accomplished there on my behalf. Help us look to the lifted up Son of God. Oh Lord, we pray for those around us that don't know you and ask that you would continue to convict them by your Holy Spirit. They come to know you. And Lord, we pray that we would live lives worthy of your name. That we would glorify you in every um, aspect of our life that you've given us to do so. In our work, in relationships with our friends and our families. God, help us to steward them well. Pouring out ourselves for those around us, as Jesus did. In his name we pray, amen.